Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to Community Garden Revolution. My name is Mary Huckel, and we're glad you're here this week. We're having a great uh, weather storm coming uh, this weekend here in the Midwest, and we're all getting ready. Uh, we've got our supplies. We went early this morning uh, to get a few other supplies because really we didn't need anything. But uh, we went ahead and uh, kind of topped it off in case there was that one special thing that maybe we could use. Or maybe that was something that would be special we could have. You know what I'm saying. So we were fortunate uh, that we really didn't have to go there, but we did. And um, the uh, manager of the store, when we went by, he said, oh, it's going to be a busy day today. And uh, they were stocking up the store as fast as they could. Uh, bottom line, uh, we're going to get X amount of inches of snow. We don't know how much. We never know. And then all the places around us add uh, probably about six more inches on top of that. So it's going to be exciting stuff coming up the next few days. And uh, we've got brownies ready uh, probably. We've got some in the freezer. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and make some uh, uh, gingerbread round uh, cookies and uh, maybe throw in a few uh, gingerbread cookie cutter boys. And then um, I think I'm going to make some... um, Peanut butter fudge, chocolate peanut butter fudge. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just have to taste test it and make sure it's going to taste okay. You know what I'm saying? And if it makes into a big, nice batch, that's even better. So, uh, <laughs> we believe it or not, now, now, don't be hard on me. We went ahead and got some fruits uh, today to make sure we had enough. I'm already salivating. Make sure we had enough fruits to be able to eat because we want to stay healthy. Uh, so uh, in our area in the Midwest, we're getting a lot of people with flu. So do be sure to eat well. Do wash your hands as much as you can. Uh, when I get back from uh, errands, and I've done this for um, 20, 30 years, I always make sure that I also wash my face. So wash your hands, wash your face. And uh, I can always feel when I've uh, done an extensive amount of errands that day because I, I, I tell my family, I say, I can feel people on me. And uh, <laughs> basically it's that I quickly go ahead and wash my face and make sure that whatever germs uh, that we've had to go through or be around, uh, that hopefully we've gotten them off. So uh, we're not interested in the flu. Hope you're not interested in catching the flu. And uh, be careful because uh, people have been uh, going to the hospital sometimes to take care of some respiratory things. So do take care of yourself. And this is t- the time to go ahead and make sure that you have enough good food uh, around you so that you can eat well and then be able to heal properly and heal well. So um, no no joke on that. There's not ever a joke on that. Be sure that you eat as best as, best as you can on your fruits and vegetables. So what uh, are we going to talk about today? Well, we're going to talk about what we can do with mason jars. Why not get some tips and ideas? Uh, also, kitchen sc- uh, scraps, what you can do with those to help your gardening uh, and more. Now, if you've got some raised beds at home or if you've got some um, other uh, ways to be able to throw scraps away, uh, this might be something for you to listen to. Now, I don't know if some of your community gardens are open during the winter. Usually they close them down. But if there's some that are open, this might be giving you a great idea what you can do with scraps. Um, I did this for X amount of time when uh, we had a, a big uh, garden when I was growing up uh, into high school. And uh, I would at nighttime go ahead and sneak outside. Uh, we had a greenhouse, so I went out the back door through the greenhouse to the uh, outside. And we had a big garden in the back. And I'm talking big. I'm talking at least 40 feet long and uh, 
uh, well, it was, uh, that sounds small compared to what we have. It was 40 feet wide and um, 80 feet long. Could that be right? It was a big one. <laughs> it was a big one. So, um, but anyway, so I would sneak out there because we didn't have the plastic stuff down around the plants to keep down the uh, uh, weeds because we just didn't have enough time to do all that kind of stuff during the, the, the summertime. We were very busy. And uh, so we used plastic to cover the ground. And uh, anyway, so I threw out the scraps. I mean, I threw out all kinds of stuff. And I don't know if it helped our garden any or whatever, but I feel like it did. So, uh, but who knows? But we're going to talk about that. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll hear about someone's idea on that. And then, of course, uh, some other things that we may uh, push in there. So, and we're going to hear some music from a great uh, group uh, that's from the uh, uh, spring. Let's see what they've got. What they are. Uh, this is from uh, something that the Owensboro, Kentucky Bluegrass Music uh, Museum is going to be doing. In the springtime, they all ha- have all kinds of um, different uh, um, oh, music stuff going on. And they've got the Steep Canyon Rangers, so we'll hear them coming up uh, in a moment and uh, have some good music. Hopefully, if I can get the button right, and that's the key thing, y'all, I have to get the button to hit right. And it took me a while to get the button hit right. And hopefully we'll be able to hear some music uh, about these people. So uh, they sound pretty good. But they're going to kick off the March 9th, um, what is it, the Spring Bluegrass Concert Series uh, that's going to be by the Boardwalk Pipeline Partners. Uh, that would be a uh, past romp artist that set up the stage and visit in Owensboro. Uh, you can get it at bluegrassmuseum.org for the tickets and also the concert dates. They're going to be really big in March and April. So I'm hoping that that button works uh, for me to hit that. I tried it a few times, and sometimes things cooperate. You know how how it goes. <laughs> so we'll do the best we can. So, okay, well, let's go ahead and find out the uh, centrals there in the USDA. You've heard that there's a shutdown going on in D.C. And uh, the USDA contends that uh, really it's not going to affect too much of theirs on certain services. So let's go ahead and uh, find out. Um, let me see here one sec. We'll find out here in a moment uh, what it is that uh, they say that's still going to be open. I don't believe the F- uh, see, is FDA underneath them. I don't believe they're open, so there might not be too many inspections going on. I think that's what's really bothering some folks is that they want to make sure that the food is inspected. Hold on a second here. Hold on a second. It's been one of those days, uh, the second day in a row, where I dropped a lot of uh, stuff from the uh, cooking. I help out with my mom. And uh, so I was cooking, and I had uh, some hamburgers that we were doing today on the little grill pan that I have. And uh, so I smell like a, a walking hamburger because I got uh, stuff all over me. And uh, I might have changed that shirt because I do smell like a, a walking uh, hamburger. But, um, okay, so it's been one of those days. <laughs> So here's some uh, essential USDA services not affected by the shutdown, so they say. mean no USDA inspectors to check your meat, poultry, or egg products, you can breathe a sigh of relief. Many of the jobs performed by USDA employees to keep Americans safe are considered essential functions and will continue. For example, nearly 90% of the Food Safety and Inspection Service's 9,500 employees will be on the job. Nearly 70% of the Forest Service's 33,000 employees will continue maintaining safety at our nation's forests. 
Nearly 90% of agricultural marketing service employees will continue their grading and inspection services, as well as procuring commodities for nutrition assistance programs. And more than 60% of animal and plant health inspection service employees will be on hand to inspect fruits, vegetables, and birds at borders and quarantine facilities. This is Stephanie Ho for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington. Thanks, Stephanie. I think someone said they were trying to do a, um, a new craft a beer or whatever the hey they call those things, breweries. And they were waiting for inspection on that, and they have to wait until the shutdown happens uh, ends so they can get that open. So uh, hopefully this will be uh, done soon. We don't know. It could go on forever, but um, we'll see. All right, we're going to be right back. You're listening to Community Garden uh, Revolution. My name is Mary Huckel, and I'm very Glad that you all took the time to uh, uh, listen to our show. We appreciate it. My name is Mary Huckel. Thanks for coming back. Uh, I don't know if you went to get something to drink or whatever. Maybe we were dancing during the song. I don't know. But we're glad that you're here so we can share some information to you. And uh, let me see here. The next thing we're, what we're wanting to do is listen about, let's go with, what do you say? Let's roll the dice. Uh, I didn't know that people took the time to date old mason jars. I don't know. Maybe they want to see it for collection purposes or something. So we're going to go ahead and listen to this. It's um, a how-to DIY thing. And uh, so we're going to listen to this because I didn't realize people took the time to find out what the dates were. I was just glad to have one and uh, didn't break it yet. So, okay, here we go. How to date old ball mason jars. Ball mason jars are a type of home canning jar made by the Ball Corporation. The company started making mason jars back in 1880, and many people today still use these for canning or collect the jars as a hobby. There are many ways to date old ball mason jars, and one of the easiest is to look at the logo. Along with the logo, you can sometimes use the color, size, and other distinguishing marks to help date a mason jar. Dating the logo. Look for the early BBGMC logo. This is one of the earliest logos used by Ball, back when the company was known as the Ball Brothers Glass Manufacturing Company. Because the jars were made in Buffalo, New York, these are called Buffalo Jars today. Buffalo Jars are rare and old. If you have a mason jar with this logo, it was manufactured between 1885 and 1886. One. See if your jar has block letters. Ball began using block letters for the logo on their jars in 1892 and continued using this type of logo until 1896. The major difference between the lettering on these jars and newer jars is the lettering on the older jars is simple printing rather than cursive or stylized lettering. Check for the first Ball script logo. In 1895, Ball introduced their first logo that used cursive lettering. This is also when Ball began underlining their logo. Between 1895 and 1896, the ball logo was relatively straight rather than angled toward the upper right side of the jar. Look for the 3L logo. 
The ball logo has remained relatively standard since the first script logo was introduced, but there have been a number of small variations that can be used to date the jar. The 3L logo, for instance, was only used between 1900 and 1910. This logo is called the 3L logo because the decorative loop at the end of the logo looks like a third L in the ball name, 3. Look for the dropped A between 1910 and 1923. The A in the word ball had an ascender at the beginning that looked like it should connect with the B because the B and the A don't connect. This called the dropped A. At this time, Ball also adopted the 2L style logo, where the decorative loop on the end of the name was dropped. Look for a ball jar without an underscore. The cursive word ball without the underscore was only produced between 1923 and 1933. Check for the looped B. This moves into the 1933 to 1962 age range. There is an underscore A B with a loop in the center and a very small A. Look for the B connected to the underscore. Starting in the 1960s, the lower part of the B connected to the underline. This indicates a date range between 1960 and today. And that was interesting information. I didn't know anything about all that, did you? <laughs> I'll tell you what they've got out there. Very interesting. Um, let's go ahead and find out the um, the crops, making a, an alternative scene. That's what uh, the USDA is wanting us to learn about. Uh, the thing is, is that when you do a community garden, you're going to have your basics, and we always have ours ourselves. We don't change that. What we do is that we think, uh, you know, some X amount of months ahead of time, and we go, you know, what do you think you, what do you think you're in the mood for? What do you think we should try out this year, whatever? And then we try to think through, you know, what we want to do. Sometimes it deviates a little bit. Sometimes it's wild and crazy and deviates a lot. But we try to make it kind of interesting. Now, for us, we found out that we work well with the basics, and that's it. So uh, we do uh, have the tried and trues, uh, but once in a while we do want to try something different to kind of see if we can grow it. I mean, that's basically what it's about, see if we can grow it. And uh, so sometimes we've done like potatoes in a, a pot. Uh, sometimes we've done uh, lemons and limes. Uh, that was fun those uh, two years. Uh, and we've done other things too. So um we just want to make sure that people understand that you can do all kinds of different things. You don't have to necessarily stay with the same old thing. Uh, and have an alternative uh, uh, thing of crops just in case you have the extra space. Because sometimes that can make it fun, unique, and whatever. Uh, because if you get too bored with something or if you get too lackadaisical about whatever, you may not take care of it as well. So we want to make sure that you stay involved and that this is something that you want to keep with. So... Let's go ahead and find out what the USDA says about crops making the alternative scene. And uh, I'm hoping that uh, you at least learn uh, that it's okay to, to uh, try some different things. The term alternative can be a diverse one. Whether we think of music over the decades...
natural crops. There's a world of potential among the alternative crops that are out there. Potential from the economic, environmental, and several things in between realm of benefit. According to Rob Meyer, a regional director for one of USDA's sustainable agriculture and research education programs. I'm Rod Bain. And coming up, we take a look at the alternative from a crop perspective in this edition of Agriculture USA. Rob Myers is someone who has spent much of his career as a University of Missouri plant professor and extension coordinator studying and advocating the use of what he calls alternative crops by growers. He says producer interest in raising such crops grow. Whenever we have low prices for corn, soybeans, and wheat, that is when interest starts to spike in alternatives, very understandably, because people are looking for things they can make some money on. But what are some examples of alternative crops? Myers, a regional director for USDA's Sustainable Agriculture and Research Education Program, says there are plenty of them. Now, one might think of alternative crops as those that are not major commodities. Specialty crops, for instance. We do see a lot of farmers nowadays growing higher value specialty crops. Myers noting in the middle of corn and soybean country in Iowa, one producer is raising several acres of vegetables, had a large variety of chili peppers that he was growing. Or even in places like North Dakota, where one grower was taking native grapes from nearby wooded areas. Created a very nice vineyard from them, and now he's selling them. He doesn't have his own wine processing facility on his farm, but he sells to a winemaker the bottles of native wine. We're selling for $50 a bottle. And Meyer says keep in mind, specialty crops do not just consist of produce, tree nuts, or other food plants either. They're growing ornamentals such as cut flowers, botanicals for the herbal market, so lots of different specialty opportunities. Another alternative crop example is non-soybean oilseed crops like sunflower. In addition to their value for cooking oil and biofuels, there are opportunities for farmers to direct package these for bird seed and direct market. That's a huge market. It's about a third of the sunflowers that are grown have gone into the bird seed market traditionally. But what if you are a soybean farmer? You already have the equipment to plant beans and perhaps are looking for an alternative. Meyer says one answer is edamame soybean. Because these are getting more popular in the food market, you've probably had edamames either at a restaurant or maybe as part of a frozen vegetable mix. That's an example where a farmer can use some of their existing planting equipment. They just have to think about harvesting differently than they would with the dried soybeans. There are what may be considered now alternative grains, such as the perennial grass, Kernza, which Meyer says, based on nutritional, food and feed production, and environmental potential, General Mills last year announced the Kernza is the grain of the future. Meyer adds, don't forget cover crops in the realm of alternatives, especially as new market opportunities are developed for these potential commodities, and the extent of environmental benefits continues to be discovered. There's a lot of different cover crops that are being grown. We think of cereal rye, it is the big one. There's lots of other cover crops, and there's actually over 30 species of cover crops sold through different farm seed companies today. And he taps into another potential revenue source for farmers in the alternative crops realm, cover crops grown for seed. We're getting close to 20 million acres of cover crops now. Barring major economic disruptions of that, I would expect we'll be up in that 40 to 50 million acre range in the next seven years based on current trends. If you take our survey national average of $25 of seed per acre, that's a billion dollar seed industry that we'd have within the next seven years. And we're halfway there now, so a half billion dollar industry as of right now. One more crop several classify as alternative, industrial hemp. 
Michael Bowman of the National Hemp Association says as more states legalize growing industrial hemp and by the 2014 Farm Bill have oversight from either state agriculture department yeah, well, his <laughs> thing is that more people are going to grow hemp. Uh, what we need to do is uh, realize that you can uh, grow some of your things in the community garden, actually make money on it, whether you sell it to a grocery store, take it to a food hub, whether you take it to an uh, uh, arts and crafts show or whatever. You can make money off of it. So if it's something that you can do for some pocket change or like one lady does in town, she makes the extra money, so it helps out her family as another job. Also with the kids for the college, so there's a lot of things you can do. <clears throat> and we're going to go ahead and close up the show by talking about the 35 amazing uses for mason jars. We're thin on time, so I uh, won't be able to get to the uh, bury the kitchen scraps thing. But if you have the opportunity, bury those kitchen uh, scraps in your garden or in your pots or something of that sort, and see how more nutrients uh, pop up with your uh, growing uh, ability for your crops. Here we go with the 35 mason uses for mason jars. So I take credit for none of these ideas. They are all other people's ideas that I've just compiled into this one video to show you guys. In the video description, I'll have links to some of the tutorials for these ideas. These jars are very, very cheap. You can find them at most retailers online and in person at various grocery stores, places like Walmart. They come in many different sizes and shapes, and some of the ideas I'm going to show you even utilize the little metal caps to these jars. So if you have any ideas that you think I left out, leave them in the comments down below. And if you want to see more great DIY videos, hit that subscribe button and enjoy the video. Okay, on these they're not showing uh, to. They're not telling you what they are. Basically, they're using them uh, as uh, either um, oh flower plant pots or or they're using it for uh, different things that you can hold things in. Um, let's see here. What was the other one? Um, uh, I thought it was going to be more of telling you stuff than uh, just the uh, thing. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll try to say it over the uh, thing what they're doing. Uh, they use it for a mini pie where they put the crust in the uh, lid, believe it or not. And they got a soap dispenser if you want to put a different kind of top on top of that. Uh, through your can at the top, you know, drill a hole and put it in there. That's great. Uh, they also turn them upside down use them for snow globes. That's interesting. Put some stuff inside and use it for snow globes. Or how about use the lids for coasters? They put... Um, bulletin board stuff in there and glued it in a uh, mouse trap i don't know about that one but maybe it could i don't know that one okay this one's got out to be a cookie cutter that's a great job yeah we use old uh glasses for a cookie cutter sometimes tissue holder that's interesting cut a hole at the top and then be able to put your uh, tissue through the top part of it that's great tiki torch interesting i could not do that but maybe you can Put your uh, fluid inside, and then put your uh, thing coming out the top. Cooking eggs, they use that for the lids instead of getting something to keep it round. 
uses a fountain. Not sure if. Oh, okay. They cut holes in the glass somehow and uh, put water in there and it spurts out uh, water. Bird feeders. You can turn them upside down and use them for bird feeders. Lights. You can uh, surely use that with lights and like uh, uh, connect with some kind of a oh adapter or some sort with lights. Uh, you can use a yarn dispenser, put your yarn inside, put it a hole of the lid and pull it out. You can also use them as candles. A baking dish, interesting. Okay, hadn't thought of that one. That's interesting. Putting stuff inside the uh, the mason jars. Fish bowl. Oh, yeah, an aquarium kind of thing. That's a cute idea. Yeah, put some stuff in there with your fish. That's a cute idea. Paint spraying. I'm not good with that part, but uh, you can put a spray thing on there and then use the jar for your paint and then spray it. Ornaments. You could use the lids for different ornaments or turn upside down your um, mason jar and put some stuff in there to make some cute little ornament ideas and put it on your table. A butter churn. Okay. Baby bottle. Put that uh, lid on differently at the top. A bell, interesting. Okay, put it, uh, turn it upside down, then put the little clinger, ding, 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 inside there. A cocktail shaker, I could put some little holes in the top of the lid and uh, shake the stuff and then pour it out. Picture frame, interesting. Uh, on the outside or inside, you can put your pictures in there and just put it on the shelf. Blender, I guess so if your other thing broke. Your other container to the blender. Toiletries, that's a cute idea. Uh, have them all lined up with your small little uh, jars and then put toiletry items inside there. You know, like cotton balls or your toothbrush or some other other stuff. Uh, use them for tie-dye items. Uh, you can also put them as piggy banks for coins. We've done that before. Put a little slit at the top of the lid and use it like that. Uh, if you're really creative, make a lamp. Have a bigger uh, ball jar with all the mechanisms in the middle. Meal prep, a lot of people do that now. They put their uh, salads or their meals uh, in, freeze it, or put it in the refrigerator that way. Salt and pepper, you can always put salt in one, pepper in the other. And baking supplies, it's very interesting. Uh, you could also put your different uh, herbs and spices in there and put a little uh, sign on the top part of the lid what they are. That's a cute idea. Interesting. We well, could do a lot of things with ball mason jars, and we're so glad they're around because I love ball mason jars. All right. Well, you listen to Community Garden Revolution. We're so glad you're here uh, this week, and there's just always so much to learn and do. And hopefully you're getting your seed catalogs because the springtime is coming. <laughs> First, we have to get past the snow that we're getting. All right, well, have a great one. We appreciate you coming. My name is Mary Huckel. Have a great community garden day.